I think that we forget sometimes that we're actually healing every single moment, right? Like regeneration mm. is, is our birthright. Cells are dying and new ones are being born right now, right? Mm -hmm. Welcome to Facing Forward, a conscious lifestyle podcast hosted by me, Kara Ladd, featuring deep, heart-forward, soul-centered conversations to catalyze growth, healing, transformation, and wonder in your everyday life. We have an insanely good conversation for you today with my dear friend, Dr. Erica Matluck, who is truly one of the wisest people I know. She is a trained naturopathic doctor. She's also a nurse practitioner, Reiki master, massage therapist, also trained in vinyasa and kundalini yoga. I mean, come on. She has extensive training in both conventional and alternative approaches to healing, which together have laid the foundation for the brand that she has today, Seven Senses, which is this transformational holistic healing experience grounded in the chakras and I was lucky enough to experience seven senses firsthand on her and Paul's retreat in 2019 in Italy and so we talk a little bit about it in this interview and we also dive into her journey exploring and studying the facets of conventional medicine which then motivated her to study alternative holistic healing we Talk about what holistic healing actually means that that word holistic is thrown around so much and she has a very specific definition for this and we also talk about obviously the chakras in particular the heart chakra which we were both fascinated with and we talk about spiritual embodiment and and what that actually looks like and feels like this is just a beautiful conversation filled with so much wisdom and i'm so excited to share her work with all of you Let's get into it. Here is Erica Matluck of Seven Senses. Erica, I just adore your work. And before we actually dive in, I actually did a breathwork session this morning. And reflecting back, the first time I ever did breathwork was at Seven Senses, like real breathwork in Italy with Paul. But thank you so much again for being here. Your work has honestly inspired me and has been such a catalyst for me in my healing journey. I went on the seven senses retreat five years ago, five plus years ago now, I feel like maybe something like that, or maybe four. I actually. think it was 2019, the oh my, retreat yeah, you so, did. Right. I was like, no, I was diagnosed with cancer like six years ago, so that's definitely not right. So it was a few years after that, but it's been, you've just had such an impact on me and my healing journey. So first, I just want to say thank you, because I don't know if I've ever really had like the time or space to properly do so. Like you've just been such an inspiration in my life and in my healing journey. So thank you. You're so welcome. And thank mm -hmm. you, because I find your story to be one of the most inspiring ones that comes, you know, into my field. I work with so many different people. And it's really rare to find such a young woman that has like gone to the depths that you've gone to in your body and then kind of come back and said, okay, I'm like really going to use that experience to transform my life and who I am. And I think since that retreat, I feel so, you know, honored to be a part of your journey and even the timing of everything, because I feel like I met you when you were coming out of the chapter with cancer and sort of like to speak in chakras, because that's what we do on the retreat, you're moving back out of that route and growing into who you've become. And I've watched you pretty much change every component of your life from work to home to partner since that time you know, yeah. from on the sidelines cheering you on. It's just, it's so incredible to see. Yeah. And in retrospect, I feel like, I mean, your work in Seven Senses was really the conduit for that. Outside of my cancer journey, I feel like for deep integration and embodiment and for me to really take those actions, the retreat looking back was actually the metamorphosis for, for a lot of that. Okay. So you have such an impressive 
career path. You've moved through conventional medicine and so many different modalities and certifications, holistic and clinical. Can you talk to the importance of just like the slow build and how everything has really come together to create the path and the career and seven senses to what it is today? Absolutely. Yeah, it really has been a slow build for me. And part of the reason is because I started so young. I was drawn to healing so young. It really was inspired by my mother's cancer. And she passed when I was 11. So that was really when the seed was planted, this question of like, how do people in other cultures heal? And really that inquiry has shaped my life. And so I started in Reiki. I started in more of like the energetic realms and then decided to go to naturopathic medical school and, and get a master's in nursing. And then I came out and I took a job in conventional medicine. The first year that I was working in conventional medicine on, at the even, in the evenings, I was doing like an intuitive medicine psychic development program. And all of this was happening alongside yoga training. And, you know, I like, I do a lot of work with other practitioners. I mentor a lot of practitioners. And one of the things I really like to share with them is for me, I started out just sort of like curious and wanting to learn like about these different sort of modalities or approaches or how people heal. And I think one of the nice things for me is that because I started so young, there wasn't necessarily pressure to work yet. And a mm. lot of people you see going into the more sort of holistic professions these days, they're going into it as a second career. And there's like immediate demands to sort of like turn it into a business. I didn't have that pressure because I started as a college student and a teenager and then was in a graduate program for six years. So I had like an incubation period that like where I was really allowed to just sort of be a beginner. And I think that that was really, really sweet when I look back in retrospect, because I see so many people doing these like fast track certification programs and, you know, with very, very little training, launching a business and with robust marketing, starting to hold space for very, very complex you know, both clinical or psychological material, and they maybe aren't quite ready for it. So for me, I was lucky that if in that capacity that like I started early and it was like, there was a lot of tolerance for just being a beginner. But I also think if I'm being really honest, I, I started out and as I was doing different sort of trainings and certifications and learning different approaches with masters in different parts of the world, I always had this inkling that like everything was, there were all these different languages, but it was all the same thing. And I guess my, me now would just call that healing, you know, but I knew it fit together because like I would hear something in say my yoga training that had come up in my Reiki mastership. And it seemed to correlate with something I learned in nursing school or naturopathic school. And it would happen frequently enough that I was like, I really need to look at this because I think that there are points of intersection of all these different healing modalities and approaches. And it took me a really long time to like really synthesize that and see it and not just time, but experience and volume of patients. I mean, I worked in a conventional primary care environment for almost a decade as a subspecialist in integrative medicine. And I had thousands of patients, you know, I probably worked with tens of thousands of patients during that time. And even though I was practicing, you know, in the conventional setting, I was bringing in, you know, yogic techniques. I was bringing in breath work. I was bringing in chakras. I was watching and observing, oh, like, you know, this thing that I know about this chakra or craniosacral therapy, like, how is that 
consistently showing up in people with headaches or thyroid issues, you know, and I was really sort of in observation. And there were a lot of times in that chapter of my career, because I was in that conventional environment for, I'd say, longer than I was comfortable and (laughs) felt very constrained at times. And I would say to myself, like, I want to get out of this. I want to do my own thing. I want to do something new. I want to bring this all together. But it wasn't really clear yet what it was. And the thing that kept me going is to wake up every day, go into that office every day and ask myself the question, am I still learning? Is this still benefiting me? You know, not just, you know, financially or benefits or whatever, but is this still feeding my understanding of human health, of a holistic system? And until the answer was no, I stayed. And then when I left in 2018, it was so clear to me, like the framework, the methodology that I now work from in everything that I do. And uh, it allows me to really bridge these worlds of like what we call health. And then I think what we could call self or, you know, the worlds of medicine and coaching and or the world or the worlds of just like, you know, feeling well enough. And like, and so, you know, I like to share that with practice. Take all of these, you know, modalities, traditions, methodologies, schools of thought, and put them into the prism of you to create something that is uniquely yours. Mm, that was so beautifully said. Oh, do you have anything else to add? The only thing I'll add is that I, I really do think that that's where we're headed. I think we're living right. at a really interesting time where because of the internet and because, you know, we're such a like global people these days and we have so much access to teachings from different parts of the world. And, and then you look at sort of like the, you know, the wellness industry or, or the holistic marketplace and there's it's so flooded. There's so much competition. There are so many breathwork guides. There are so many, you know, holistic doctors. There are so many people that trained with this person. And I think there was a time where like who you trained with or what your certification was like really sort of defined you. And I think that that's over. I really do. I think we're moving into a time where it's like, how do you synthesize all the things that, you know, either have inspired you, that guide you, that have worked for you, that you're trained in, into Mm -hmm. something that is utterly unique. Because the truth is, any person doing healing work is holding, you know, a very unique medicine that Mm -hmm. only they can deliver. Absolutely. I honestly couldn't agree with you more. I feel like we're breaking down these like silos for the educational structures right now. I mean, we're seeing it happen nationwide and global wide. Like it's going to be really interesting to see even what the like attendance rates for college are going to be in the next five to 10 years as people start to explore different lanes and channels of self-discovery and just education overall, but especially within the healing sphere. And that's even affirmational to me. And I'm sure a lot of people that are listening, because I feel like a lot of people cling to those those external validation points. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really when you turn inwards and you have connect with your unique zone of genius, that's when you really start to connect with your like throat chakra. And I mean, I feel like so many at this, we can dive into the chakra conversation, but I feel like for me connecting to my unique purpose and my unique lane has really helped me like communicate and carve a path forward. And there's so much that you, that you just said that I want to dive into, but specifically use the word holistic quite a few times. And I feel like that word is thrown around within the wellness industry and the healing industry a lot. And you have such a beautiful interpretation of this through the lens of the chakras and through all of the bodies. And so what does holistic mean to you and how does that inform the work you're putting out into the world? Well, thank you for asking that question. (laughs) I really want 
everyone who's a consumer or a patient or a client to be asking that question, not only of themselves, but to the so-called holistic practitioners that they're working with. And I don't say that because I'm trying to say that other people aren't holistic, but I say that because I firmly believe that the boundaries of the whole are not static, right? Mm. And we could even break this down in terms of like, let's just break it down in terms of medicine, right? So we in the United States or in the conventional Western system, we have lots of specialists. We could say that a primary care provider is holistic because they're, when you see them, they're looking at all the different organ systems of the body, right? we could agree that the body is the whole, right? But then we could take that farther and we could say, well, what about mind-body medicine, right? We know that your thoughts impact your physical experience and your physiology. We know the placebo effect works. So maybe the boundaries of the whole aren't just the body. Maybe they also include the mind and our thoughts and beliefs. But then we could go farther and we could say, but what about emotion, right? When I'm in love or when my newborn baby is born and I'm pumping out oxytocin, that very much impacts the organ systems in my body, right? So then it's like, okay, maybe my emotional state is also part of the whole. And we could take this conversation farther and farther and farther out until you and I could geek out for hours on how this extends into, you know, big celestial bodies in the sky and our connection to the macrocosm. So I think for me, even in defining what is holistic, I think it's like, I'm also always asking myself the question, what whole am I working with? Right. Mm. So when I'm working with people in my private practice, I'm very much like aligned with this definition of holistic in that, that, that is sort of defined by the fact that we have four quadrants to ourselves, the physical, the mental, the emotional, and the spiritual. And I feel that unless my work and our goals and our journey together do not engage all four of those quadrants because those through those four different quadrants we relate to things differently right mm. each one of these quadrants of ourselves speaks a different language with the body being sensation and emotions being our feelings and the the mental being our thoughts and beliefs and the spiritual being energetic or quantum right and so if you know which quadrant you're experiencing something in, then you can respond to it speaking its language. Mm. What I found when I worked in conventional medicine is that people end up chasing the same sort of themes of dysfunction, the same wound patterns through these different quadrants, right? So maybe I go see my doctor because I have this pain and they prescribe me, you know, a muscle relaxer or something, and it gets better, shows up in my mind, and I'm ruminating, and my mind is going 90 miles per hour, so I can't sleep. So I talk to my therapist about it, or my psychiatrist about it, and they have some solution for the mind. And maybe it feels like it works. But then I start feeling that tension in, in my emotions and I'm anxious all the time, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't know what's driving this anxiety, but it's like, it's just a existential state of tension. And so maybe I bring that to my therapist or a psychiatrist or a coach or something. And maybe they give me some tools to work with the emotion. And then it shows up in my spiritual experience and I can't trust myself and I'm stuck in self-doubt all the time, right? And what I've found in conventional medicine is that we end up just sort of chasing these themes through the four quadrants of self. So for me, in most of my work, I define holistic as making sure that we engage, understand, and work with all four of these quadrants. And part of the art is deciding which one we start with. Mm -hmm. However, I, you know, when I'm on retreat, 
I'm also thinking about how the collective field is a part of the self, right? And how like when Paul and I lead retreats and we're planting certain themes in the psyche with the music or with the sound or the instruments or with our vocal guidance, how then, you know, our shared field or the community actually becomes a part of the self, right? So to, to simplify my answer to your question, I think there's two pieces to how I define holistic. One is like this sort of basic run of the mill definition that I, that is my framework that I use in my private practice and really in my courses and everything that I do. But also this ongoing question of like, what are the boundaries of the whole? And how do I keep applying this framework to a dynamic definition of the whole that I'm working with or working on? So from my perspective, and I, I mean, I, I love this framework personally, and I apply it actually to my consultancy as well. I even call my brand build-outs holistic brand build-outs because I w work with a lot of practitioners and entrepreneurs, solopreneurs. And I feel like whenever we're building out a new offering, a new concept, there's always different layers of self or like different limiting mm -hmm. beliefs, different blocks that people are going through. It's like a full Phoenix rising. So like I use holistic in a similar capacity that like, I don't just work with brands and individuals. I feel like I work with the whole like self because I feel like that's why I say self and brand growth are inevitably intertwined, especially when you're an entrepreneur, because you are your brand to a certain degree. So my process is different from like, or similar from a strategic perspective Four quadrants. And we're in this state of modern day spiritual society where people are healing. They're aware of healing. They're aware of like conscious terms and everything. And spirituality is basically caught up to the masses to a certain degree. I feel like we are almost in a state of uh, hustle healing or like obsessive healing. Mm -hmm. And so where is the boundary when it comes to consistently looking at all of these quadrants and like really embodying the work? Like, I just feel like personally, I'm one to over-intellectualize my healing. So where is the boundary? It's like, oh, I've done all the work, but I still have some of these perpetual patterns coming up. How do you advise clients in that perspective when it comes to holistic healing? Well, I think you're speaking to something that's really important. And what it is, is the concept of balance, right? And so I would go as far to say that any imbalance is illness, right? Or, or let's call it disease because it's mm -hmm. not necessarily like a physical diagnosis. But when we are out of balance, we are not well. And if we want to experience well-being, we have to find balance, right? We have to bring the system back into balance. And this isn't just true of, of us as humans. It's true of all systems. Sustainability and well-being requires balance. And so you named something that I, I think is really, really important to name. We are out of balance, right? We're in like this hustle culture. And I would say when it comes to healing, it's like there's a lot of doing happening, right? There's yeah. a lot of doing and not a lot of resting, right? So I open my, my social media feed and it's like, I'm being fed products and courses and services. And it's like, oh, you have this goal. This is what you have to do. When in fact, the yang or the, you know, the active principle has to be balanced with the passive or the yin principle if we want to find well-being. So I think awareness is really important here. And I'll just use you as an example because you said you have a tendency to sort of come into your head and intellectualize it, right? And so for you, if you were to come into my practice, I would be looking at, okay, if so much of like your healing experience and your attention and energy toward your well-being is up here in the mind, let's look at what balance would look like. Does that mean that we need to bring a little bit more of your attention into the body? Does it mean we need to bring it a little bit more into the emotional experience? Does it mean we want to 
move a little bit more into like the spiritual experience. And I would say when I work with each of these quadrants that I can come up with either active activities or, or homework for my, my patients or clients. And I can come up with, you know, ones that really slow you down. But I think this is always the question to ask is what does balance look like? And sometimes that means just taking a break, right? I tell people this all the time, like, and especially in conventional medicine, doctors are trained to want to just to give you a solution. And I get that, right? It comes from like a really good place. Like I want you to walk out of my office feeling empowered, feeling better, feeling hopeful, like you have a tool. But like, so nobody wants to prescribe do nothing. Like this Mm -hmm. will just pass. But even in primary care, that's like, if you do the right thing, a lot of the time, that's what you're doing. You're just sort of reassuring. This is like a normal process. This is really common. This usually lasts, you know, seven to 10 days or whatever it is. And I think in the wellness industry, it's the same thing. Like even when you start taking three breaths, it's like, okay, maybe it's time to stop, you know, adding more courses to your cart and filling your week with appointments and just, you know, spend an afternoon having some unstructured time outdoors. Right. I think a common topic of conversation that I'm having with a lot of healers, practitioners, or just spiritual enthusiasts in general is that we need to almost, I mean, I am one to very much empower healing. It changed my life physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. But I feel like we forgot how to be human at times. Like Mm -hmm. we forgot like where is that boundary and how to just surrender to what is and find the healing moments in each and everything that's around us kind of a thing, right? And yes, go ahead. I, I love that you spoke to that just because I think that we forget sometimes that we're actually healing every single moment, right? Like regeneration mm. is is our birthright. Cells are dying and new ones are being born right now, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think we, speaking of the mind, especially in our, you know, like medical paradigm, we're trained to put so much of our attention on the problems, on what's degenerating, how much aging sucks, you know, how much we mm. want to fight that and have resistance to that. When and, and when we put all of our attention there, we completely miss out on this beautiful process that is happening every second of our lives, which is the fact that new fresh cells are being born. We're regenerating and we're healing. And back to balance, we need to maintain the awareness of both of these things and not just solely focus on what's wrong or what we want to change or what we want to fix. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We had like a little side conversations about how the body actually regenerates every seven years, which is fascinating to me. It makes sense. And I feel like that's actually part of the gene key system, right? It's like those seven year cycles. Is that correct? Seven-year cycles, I think, actually come from Rudolf Steiner. I think that um, before they were Gene Key's Richard Rudd work, I think he got that from Rudolf Steiner's work, who talks a lot about these seven-year cycles. But it is interesting that these seven-year cycles also correlate with, like, cellular turnover. Right. So... That's fascinating to me because I never really thought about that in a it, with your physical body, and I feel like right now I really am in this true uh, phase of my life where I really am just slowing down, stripping away of all the rituals, all the tools, all the things to really just sit with all of the work that I've done over the past five plus years. And you speak to this so often in your work and, and just like the embodiment of being a new mom too. Like, what is that, what does that look and feel like to you? And how can others notice and become aware of 
that embodiment. And when they've kind of arrived, even though, of course, we know there is no destination and healing or like true embodiment. And I think this is where you can get into the philosophical conversation that we are getting to in the comments. Like, is there ever that true state of embodiment? Mm -hmm. What does that look and feel like? I mean, I think there is a true state of embodiment and there's always a process happening, right? So those two things are both true. Same thing with healing. I say like, you're never healed, right? We're always healing. And yet like thing, there are aspects that are healed, right? Cause we're like cycles within cycles, within cycles, within cycles. And mm -hmm. even in that statement of the, the physical body regenerates every seven years, different types of tissues, the cells of different types of tissues have different turnover rates, right? So like you might have a new digestive tract before you have a new, you know, integumentary or, or skin system. But, uh, you know, I think about embodiment as like a process like this. You learn something new and some things you learn don't stick right? Some things mm -hmm. are like, okay, like that kind of came and didn't really stick. Some things really do. And maybe it's a practice. Maybe it's a concept. Maybe it's a perspective. Maybe it's information that like resonates with me. And at first, it's sort of like the idea of like, you know, a tree putting down roots where, okay, you're, you're figuring out if it like, if it's something you want to assimilate into you and then mm -hmm. you decide it is and you start practicing this thing or integrating this viewpoint or this perspective or this information into all that you do. And I think that that is the process of embodiment, right? I almost mm -hmm. think of it as like it starts conceptual often. It becomes experiential. You start to integrate it into your life. And eventually when it becomes truly a part of you, you're starting to embody it. However, for like embodiment to complete, I think by definition, by my definition, we need all of the cells that were alive and present before I learned that thing mm. or started that practice. We need them all to die before we're fully embodied, right? Because then we're a person physically where every single cell in the body has, um, has been born into this, like, I guess, new way of thinking or new practice. That's such an interesting perspective for us to reacquaint with death and dying. I've never really thought about that. I mean, obviously I've thought about how our cells are consistently regenerating, but when it comes to embodiment, yeah, of course, you kind of have to fully surrender and let go to this old sense of self to become fully embodied, but then it all just begins again, right? We're on this like consistent root to rise cycle. Yes, okay. and it's all happening at once, right? So I think that what's, you know, interesting about it is it's in this process, it's not like there's one moment of death, right? Where I right. say, old me is gone, right? Because of different tissues are regenerating at different rates. But I do think that like, this is a very real concept. And, you know, people who do say like myofascial work or body work are talking about cellular memory or or the, the way that memory and emotions are held in connective tissue mm -hmm. all the time. And it's like, how interesting is that, right? If you think about, I, I was a massage therapist for 10 years and oftentimes it, this didn't happen in, with like every client, but sometimes I would be on an area of someone's body and I would see a memory. And, you know, that's definitely like the stuff that I would see. It's like unhealed, unresolved, you know, often repressed memories but once you start doing that kind of shadow work and looking into the unconscious and like working with those memories, eventually the cells that make up that connective tissue no longer exist, right? Mm -hmm. So like that doesn't mean that that memory is not gone, 
but it might no longer be a traumatic memory, right? We could say that it's healed. And we could say that the healing is embodied, right? Because the body is new. Right. And no longer sort of stuck in those old patterns that that memory was fueling. You haven't really spoken about these gifts before in an interview, or at least not to my knowledge. We've talked about this one-on-one when you were speaking about your trips to India in the past. Have any other like gifts come about over the years, like any other Claire's that you've integrated through your or into your work today? Well, it's funny that that one just came up how, you know, when Mm -hmm. I was doing massage full time every now and then I would see a memory. I had no control over that gift. Every now and then it would just happen. And my main tool was to like work with the body. In recent years, I've been doing a lot of work with plant medicine and Mm. have been doing in the tradition that that I work in with my teachers down in Peru. It's called the dieta, where you Mm -hmm. learn from a master plant and oftentimes gifts emerge. And more recently, actually, this gift of, I guess I could call it seeing with my hands, has become crystal clear. And Mm. now it's no longer, I I wouldn't say that like I, I control it, but I can see things when I put my hands on someone's field. And uh, a lot of the time I can see, you know, what needs to happen to move something or resolve something. And it started as something that kind of happened every once in a while. And I wasn't sure when it was going to happen. And now it's a very consistent thing. And, you know, as you know, in the last day of the retreat, when we're doing that longer breathwork session, I do a lot of sort of like energy work, or even just sort of like, I guess I'd say energetic surveillance, because I'm not doing the work, you and, and the participants are doing the work yourselves. But it's very consistent now that in that session, when I put my hands in someone's field, I will see things. And in our most recent retreat, I'd say it was one of the most profound parts of the retreat for all the attendees. Wow. And I think that just goes to show like the time and the patience of honoring your craft and and just like that's like integration and true embodiment. And I feel like most people want to again, like take a fast track to try to harness different clairs. But how, how profound I am a full believer of Louise Hay's work and speak to body based intuition a lot, in a lot of my writing and just how emotions are correlated to different parts of our body. And can whenever I have like a tweak, you know, I had a recent tweak in my right neck and I'm always like, oh yeah, because I'm doing a lot more writing and I'm doing a lot more speaking. And, you know, it was coincidentally with like Mercury and retrograde in Taurus, which is connected to the throat. Like you can go on and on about the interconnectivity with these systems and the energetics, but yeah, I'm sure that was a really profound experience. Do you see now layering on your chakra system work? Let's first talk talk before we dive into like more of that Claire conversation. Why does the system resonate with you so deeply? And when you put your hands on someone like that obviously correlates to the chakras as well. Like you see that connection. Yes. So yes and no. So the reason Mm. the chakra system resonates with me is I mean, there are a lot of reasons, but <laughs> I, I consider myself a bridge, right? Like I, I, I feel very comfortable dancing in the unseen realms. And when I started this work, you know, Reiki and a Reiki master, I was, I mean, it was like the late nineties and it wasn't really popular yet. So I used to like shy away a little bit from talking about it. And I call it my new age tendencies, right? And that was me, like, in my own sort of like wound of shame and insecurity in 
in the fact that I was like really drawn to this kind of unusual thing. And it's very different now, of course, as you know, but I've always considered myself a bridge because like I'm analytical, I'm academic. I really like to know how things work. You know, I was always like a good student. I could memorize the the anatomy textbook, et cetera, et cetera. But I also like feel very comfortable in these extra sensory areas that are sort of like beyond the normal perceptual range. And I've always been pretty sensitive like that. So I, the chakras are like, they're me, right? They're like these windows between worlds. And as much as they're energetic and subtle in origin and not anatomical structures, they very much correlate with large plexuses of nerves and endocrine glands. And so I feel like they make it make sense. Mm -hmm. And I think that it wasn't my goal when I set out to sort of like do the work I'm doing now to like demystify mystical topics. That was never my goal. Although I get that feedback a lot from people that like I'm, I'm, one of my gifts is to sort of like demystify or simplify things that feel pretty complex and woo woo. And I just feel like the chakra system gives me a platform to do that. That's like Mm. very digestible and very stepwise. And seven is a powerful number, Mm -hmm. even though of course in, in some traditions and concepts of the whole, there are more than seven chakras, of course. And there are a lot of energetic points of concentration in the body. But so that's like, I think why I gravitated to that system is like, this really resonates with how I want to bridge these two worlds. And it's something that people are familiar enough with. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, I, if I had to remove the term chakras from my work, that would be completely fine. Because really what I'm talking about is just like seven different perceptual levels of self, seven different viewpoints, whether they're viewpoints looking out or looking in, it's seven perspectives. Yeah, I feel like the chakra system is one of the most digestible systems. And I feel like that's obviously true because it's been one of the most popular, I feel like, lenses to look through um, when it comes to spiritual health, healing, and overall life. And one thing that I recently learned from you, one, taking the chakra tests on your site, which everyone run, don't walk because they're really, really good. And you give solid integration and embodiment tips on how to actually move forward, not just what in what is wrong or what it not what is wrong, but you know, how to actually move forward and heal. Um, one thing that I learned is that the heart chakra is actually the bridge between your your lower chakras and the higher chakras, which I found fascinating and I haven't really thought about before or knew. Can you dive deeper into that? Because one, my shot full disclosure one of my answers to the blocks or one of the areas I need to work on is the heart chakra, which makes sense to me right now. But yeah, I'm fascinated that it's the bridge speaking about how you're the bridge. Can you dive more into that? Yeah. I, I also am fascinated by the heart chakra. And I think it's no coincidence that cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death in the United States, right? Or in the Western mm. world. And when you even think about the organ of the heart, right? What does the organ of the heart do? It circulates, right? It circulates blood, it circulates energy, and it needs to both pump fresh oxygenated blood out to the periphery of the body, and it can't do that unless it receives deoxygenated blood back through the venous system. Mm. So circulation, right? In the chakra system, the heart is like, it pulls that sort of like angelic, ecstatic, spiritual, earth, human, instinctual energy up from below, and it circulates them, right? It integrates Mm. them. So seven is a powerful number, right? We have three above, which I think of more as like 
the aspect of ourselves that is more connected than separate, right? Like above the heart, we're more connected to unity consciousness. And below the heart, we are very much in our own identity, right? Mm. Most of us, I'd say most of us live down below. And, you know, so what happens when the heart chakra is blocked is either we're here often spiritually bypassing or not feeling the weight of the human experience or we're down below where we feel like victims of circumstance and like life is happening to us, like we don't have any control. And so what the heart allows us to do is both at the same time, which is why being human is so beautiful. And mm. I love this quote from Ram Das. He says, suffering is grace, right? And mm. that is like words of the heart chakra right there. It's like the suffering of the lower chakras, the pain of the separate self, the experience of being separate and being sort of stuck in an identity it breaks our hearts, mm -hmm. right? And it's like through the pain of life that our hearts break open so we can receive that, you know, divine blessing into our being and actually become an instrument of the divine because we are all one up here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so the heart plays this really unique role. I think there, it's no coincidence that like, the most beautiful poets throughout history have spoken of the heart. And I think it's unfortunate that Hollywood has sort of associated with the heart with, with romantic love, because mm. it's not really a place of romance. It's certainly not a place of drama that there's that the sacral is great for that, but the mm -hmm. heart is about compassion it's mm -hmm. about like the kind of love that really unites us and brings us across the bridge from the experience of being a separate human being to the experience of being a part of humanity. Oh my gosh, that was so beautifully said. And I find it no coincidence that I said I was in this phase of like deep, deep embodiment and slowing down and like really like what does that word mean to me? And compassion is actually the one word that has been coming up so much in in meditation. I wasn't aware that that was directly correlated to the heart chakra, but I find it obviously no coincidence that this was the center that came up on that quiz when this is such a potent phase of healing in in my life. And I feel like do you agree that this is kind of the center? Would this be the energy center of like embodiment and integration then? I mean, obviously I feel like it changes for, you can be embodied in all the center or like in various centers, but it seems like as a human, it's like, that's kind of the main center. Well, this is why I love the chakras, right? Because we could talk about embodiment in each of the seven, what that means, right. but I think to circle back to a question that you asked earlier, which, which was like, how does it feel or how do you know when someone's embodied? And I do feel that it's in their presence, right? It doesn't mm. need to be argued or convinced from the mind. It doesn't need to be kind of wooed with drama or by the desire nature. It is just felt, and I do feel that the heart center is sort of like the seat of your presence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. I also find it really interesting that psychedelics are having such a moment right now, and I feel like collective healing-wise, we're probably in the state of opening up not only our crown, but like I feel like it's a big heart chakra moment for society as well, or collective healing. Well, that's interesting because the, what I would say is that the more people are using psychedelics, the more the third eye is coming online, mm -hmm. but the integration of that work is the work of the heart, right? So mm -hmm. 
it, when people are going into these psychedelic experiences, if you go into these experiences and you don't integrate those experiences, they can be quite traumatic, right? Because it takes you out of your body. It takes mm -hmm. you up in these upper chakras. And if we're there, if we're living there, it can be really hard to be a human walking around in New York City. But the work of integration is saying, okay, how can I go to those realms, experience those different, the, the world of symbol, right? Which is like mm -hmm. the language of, of sort of like the psychedelic wor world or archetype. And then bring those learnings, those insights, those visions, those feelings, whatever came up in the experience down into my being, right? And that's the work of the heart. Mm, yes. And I always come back to that root to rise. I mean, I think you really instilled that in me many years ago, and I've really kept that with me, like throughout any healing ceremony, modality, just like even a collective group experience or even a meditation I go, when I go up, I make sure to come back down. Like in my morning meditations, if I open my crown chakra and I'm like up and suspended in that starry eyed space, I make sure to come back down and root. And I feel like that's just been a big mantra in your work and has played just a very empowering role in my healing experience of being a human being and having a spiritual experience, not just being a spiritual being. Yes. And I think like what, how we root, how we ground is like, it's, it's simple, but it's a big deal. Right. And this is why if you go and you have a psychedelic experience in the Amazon jungle, where you're like lying on, you know, a small mattress on the wood in the middle of the jungle, like you're grounded, right? You're really held by the earth. And therefore, like, you can really go to some great heights. And when we take a bunch of psychedelics in a high rise in New York City, I think it's just, it's important to remember, like, your feet are not on the earth, like, you're not mm -hmm. grounded. So how else do you want to bring that, that rootedness into the experience in order to feel safe enough to go to these, you know, Great. It's funny that you bring up the New York City apartment because I just started this like consciously comedic series on TikTok where it's all about like woo meets world. And I was just talking about how, have you ever thought about how much energy is surrounding us and above us and below us in a New York City apartment? <laughs> like that is not the place. You have to like be consistently cleansing your energy. It's actually such a wild thing to think about, not to transpose that like over cleansing and over healing nature again, but it's just something to be very, very aware of when you're in a very dense urban area. 100%, especially for people who are empathic and for children, like you kind of have to turn your sensitivity dial down or, or engage in some, some practices that, that are really work for you. Definitely. And I have so many more questions to ask you. We're going to have to have you back again. But before I dive into more of a quick fire round, you mentioned children. And how old is Orion now? He's two. Two. Oh my goodness. And I feel like you speak a lot uh, about his impact on your life and just like your healing and your business. Can you speak to that a little bit more? Because I, I feel like it's really inspiring and I feel like it's postpartum can be really tough and just like maintaining that same lifestyle isn't a reality. So speak to your experience and how Oriana has influenced your, your healing journey and your business and your life overall. I mean, speaking of the heart chakra, I think <laughs> that becoming a mother is, it's not just a crossing of that bridge, but it is a true death of like who you once were Mm. to into who you are now and part of that is like it's very literally the movement of like being a separate person to being one with another person mm. and the moment he was born my orientation to time changed from being someone who was interested in you know what are my five-year goals and what what's going on in the next decade to like how do I leave this world a better place? How do I make his life easier? 
And that's a really, really profound shift. It changes the way you do everything. So I think overall, you know, I'm still integrating becoming a mother. It's been two years. I'm still digesting the profound nature of both being responsible for another person, being so in love with another person, and the fact that like, two people loved me this much and I went through my whole life having no idea mm. this how much I was loved and just like I'm still like kind of sitting in shock of that because you can't understand this love until you feel it and I geek out a lot on like why did nature create it that way but you know, just to generally speaking, I feel like when Orion was born or even when I became pregnant with him, the the field of my heart has expanded mm -hmm. and I can hold more space. I feel the need to have a bigger impact before him. I loved my business being small. I loved the intimacy of my one-on-one -on -one containers. I still do. I was much more interested in just going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper with very few people. And since his birth, it's become a little bit more like, wow, like I, I need more people to heal. I need mm. more change to happen in my lifetime because after mm. I'm gone, his generation has to like, do the work that we didn't do while we're here. So how can I sort of like wake up and help and support and love and care for more people without losing the depth? And that's not a question I have an answer to yet, but it's the one that I feel like his arrival has like really brought up in me. Yeah, legacy and how beautiful it is that you have connected with your familial upbringing and that awe and that unfamiliarity. I actually experienced that recently, just getting engaged. And you think you kind of go through the big feels. I mean, I'm only in my early 30s and I have a lot of, lot of life to live and a lot of feelings to feel, but you kind of think that you've been through or experienced all of those feelings for the most part. And I experienced a sense of like elated, expanded love that I have never experienced before. And like literally like the connection to my family, his family, like tiny little strings of light connecting our hearts. Like it was a very wild and profound experience. And I'm sure it's even more expansive and even more powerful when you are quite literally connected and birthing and growing a human being and you bring them into this life it's like you want everyone to feel, just going back to the heart chakra again, you want everyone to, to feel that and be connected to that and lead from that place and live from that place. So I can only imagine that's so beautiful. And they remind you of the miracle, you know, mm -hmm. that each one of us is. It's like I think about birth as like actually where the crown chakra meets the root chakra again, right? Because he's just coming into form still. He's still just coming into his body. But he came from the mystery, you know, and even mm -hmm. the nature of birth is such a mystery. What starts it? Um, why he came in the moment that he did, which happened to be my deceased mother's birthday, right? Oh, uh, wow. these, these things are not coincidences, right? So there's this like mystery and miracle that comes with birth that is profound medicine. And you spoke to something earlier about sort of like, you know, the hustle culture of healing and like how to kind of slow down with it. And one of the things that my son teaches me every day is just that like the ordinary things are extraordinary if you let them be, right? Like if we will just sit there and we'll listen to the birds the different rhythms, the different sounds. We'll watch the trees dance in the wind together or, you know, not to, to keep it 
to keep it grounded or we'll play with his monster truck for, you know, <laughs> four hours, right? And look at the dynamics of the wheel turning. But, you know, the, the profound honor it is for a soul to be born into a body, to like have mm -hmm. the sensory experience, to smell a beautiful rose and to taste chocolate and to feel the sand and the water on your hands. It's just, it's not a little thing. It's like a deeply spiritual, profound, miraculous gift that we just forget sometimes. And the mm -hmm. kids are here to remind us. So they really are, you know, incredible teachers. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. You're speaking to, honestly, like the crux or the core of my work right now, in addition to like embodiment and integration. But my mission, my vision when I first started my consultancy was to connect modern mindfulness to the masses. I wanted to be able to work with healers and build their businesses and help you know, create like merge the soul with the strategy. And I think mm -hmm. one thing that I've learned and one thing that trauma and just moving through healing through cancer taught me is the magic really is in the mundane moments. And I had some really profound experiences seeing auras of like flowers and like of trees and just seeing this like technicolor reality that we were living in when I was going through some really dark, deep phases of healing. I haven't really touched those transcendent spaces since, although I remember them and I know that they're always there. And I think that's something when we are moving through life so quickly, we forget. And I, and I do think that children they just reinstill that magic and that wonder into our lives. And so my mission now is to connect modern mindfulness and ma 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 magic to the masses because I feel like it's just so important. It's imbued in each and everything in our life, including just not our personal lives, but our, but our professional lives as well. I love that. Mm. So to close, I just have a few quick fire questions. And I'm actually very curious about this first one because you have such rich rituals and routines that you bestow onto others, but are there any rituals or routines, practices that are resonating with you right now? So honestly, right now to, you know, staying with the topic, it's, it really is like the, the, the ritual is presence mm -hmm. and it's really about like making turning what used to be a meditation practice into like really being present with my son for a mm -hmm. period of time. And, you know, part of that is like, that's all I've got because my time is so limited. But part of it is like, he reflects back to me how much let my real presence impacts him and how differently it's felt from, you know, when I'm here, but I'm on my phone or I'm doing something mm -hmm. else or I'm doing the dishes, right? Like, it's just, that's like really my practice right now. And it's not something that I do from, you know, nine to nine twenty in the morning. It's something that I'm just like constantly pulling for and working on as often as I can. Totally. It's just those three deep breaths, right? Like that can be your meditation. You, you don't have to be sitting on your cushion to meditate. You can be walking, you can be playing. I feel like you can find that state of presence anywhere. I love that. What motivates you when you're feeling down or stuck? Probably sticking with the topic. Yes, but I'll speak like longer term, even before him. I think movement is has always mm -hmm. been just a really potent medicine for me. So, you know, if I only have time to do one thing when I'm feeling stuck or down, it's movement, whether it's a run outside or a yoga practice or a Kriya or something, but something that really just like actually moves the energy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's one non-negotiable for me, whether it's like a walk outside or a simple stretch. I feel like moving my body moves my mind and just clears and connects my energy mm -hmm. 100%. And then lastly, I feel like you have so much going on with seven senses. You have your awaken, you have program, you have your retreats, you have your one-on-one -on -one mentorship. 
but what can we expect from you growing forward? It's a great question. Yes, you covered what is here now. I'm really like my, my intention in this next year is to create some courses or a program for women. I'm really interested in these like sort of transitional points, these initiations going from maiden to mother and even more so going from woman to wise elder and mm-hmm. working a little bit on how do we age gracefully? How do we move through this transition of perimenopause and menopause with like honor and respect? Because I really feel like that's not an area of a, of the woman's journey that's really being honored. And in fact, we're one of like two species that actually live past reproductive age. And so to me, there's like an evolutionary advantage of like the wisdom that women hold. And I really want to start like shining a light on that and working more with that. So that's kind of what's cooking in my mind. And I'm also always open to requests. Good to know. I feel like there is totally a need to re-sacred that process of just aging because obviously working in the marketing world, it women get, yeah, it's, it's a stressful process overall. And I feel like we get badgered so much by different marketing and promotion. How can we slow down and really re-sacred that process of aging and embrace and embody that wisdom that and those gifts that we've been bestowed in this lifetime? So I love that. And I feel like you're the idyllic person to do that. Thank you. And you'll also see some pretty cool retreat partnerships with some pretty nice places. Amazing. I can't tell you what they are yet, but they're in the works. Amazing. And I cannot recommend her retreats more seven senses. Do you just want to mention where everyone can find you on social media as well? Sure. Um, On Instagram, at experience seven senses, all written out. And then the website is the same, experience7senses.com. Wonderful. Thank you so, so much for being here, Erica. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for supporting and listening to Facing Forward. I am genuinely so grateful for each and every one of you. If you feel called, please review and subscribe to this podcast. It would seriously mean so much to me and help support the production of this podcast. If you do proceed to read and review Facing Forward, please send a screenshot of your review to Jessica at kara-lad.com and we will send you a free clarity exercise that I've used over the years to help me really connect deeper to my purest, fullest, most authentic expression. In the meantime, you can follow me along on Instagram at Lad, on TikTok at kara.lad and subscribe to my Substack Growing Forward. Again, I'm so grateful you're here on this journey with me and I'm super excited to keep going and growing forward together. Big love.